This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. This episode of No Place Like Home is being brought to you by the Sierra Club, which encourages you to get out there and explore, enjoy, and protect the planet. Join our 3 million members and supporters working to power this nation with 100% clean energy at sierraclub.org. And now, on to this episode of No Place Like Home. I'm Anna Jane Joyner, a climate activist living on the Gulf Coast of Alabama. And I'm Marianne Hitt, climate activist and director of Sierra Club's Beyond Coal campaign, living in the West Virginia Hills. And this is No Place Like Home, a show that gets to the heart of climate change. Today, we're launching our brand new season, All the Climate Feels. Climate change can make us feel a lot of things, freaked out, paralyzed, anxious, angry, sad, even depressed. And so this season, No Place Like Home is going there. Join us as we get personal with experts and people on the front lines to find out how they're coping and what we can all do to find strength, peace, courage, and even joy in the face of climate change. Today, we are exploring a phenomenon called eco-anxiety by experts. It's a fairly recent psychological disorder that's affecting an increasing number of people who are worried about the environmental crisis. So what is eco-anxiety? Is it even real? And how do we deal with it? We talk with Dr. Renee Lertzman, an expert on eco-anxiety. In this episode, we turn to her to explore how climate change affects us emotionally. But first, Anna Jane and I have some catching up to do. Anna Jane, how are you? Oh my gosh, I am doing pretty well, all things considered. I'm so excited to be back podcasting with you. I've missed you and I've missed our listeners. I know. I'm so excited. No Place Like Home is back and I'm back talking with you and we have such a exciting season in store for folks. And how have you been doing? Well, I have been great on many levels. You know, this is a beautiful world and we had a nice family vacation to uh, Montana, to Yellowstone and Glacier before the glaciers are all gone. And uh, and also some of the sad things. My dog died, which was, uh, as you know, my fellow dog lover, um, very heartbreaking. And, you know, work is hard. I mean, trying to keep moving from coal to clean energy in the Trump era uh, is is very stressful. And then when you add on to that the stress of our political, larger political climate, uh, sometimes it's just hard to put one foot in front of the other. There's a lot to be thankful for, but uh, but it also feels hard right now. It feels hard. Yeah, I totally feel you. It's been a rough couple of weeks and I'm kind of in a similar boat. Like it's just the beginnings of fall and it's beautiful and there, there's so much to be thankful for. But these past couple of weeks have just been brutal. Um, I have literally done yoga pretty much every single day <laughs> just to stay sane and, you know, really try to unplug and not just watch the news 24 seven. But even in taking those self care precautions, I had a day where I just had to take 
off work, you know, and I just had to separate myself from all of it because it is so emotionally overwhelming. And, and I'm really glad we're having this conversation about anxiety and how to cope with with it because there it, the world feels quite uh, heavy and hard right now on a lot of levels. And I just think it's so important to explore ways um, to, you know, to stay healthy and, and sane in the midst of all this madness. And you, like many people, um, have been experiencing not just political and metaphysical storms, <laughs> but actual real life storms. You were, um, you were in the midst of some hurricanes this summer. I'm so glad that you're okay. Oh, thank you. Yeah, that, that has been a rough hurricane season and we are still in it. I just get really like physically stressed out, you know, like my body is tight. I have a hard time breathing. Um, and just all the anxiety around all the preparation, you know, my nine year old grandfather lives two houses down. So the evacuation plan is much more complicated because of that. And just all just the anxiety of, of thinking about losing your home and losing, you know, we live on this place that's been in my family forever a century. And that's so uh, emotionally and personally meaningful to us. And um, it is, it is, it's just like logistically difficult to deal with these storms. And it's like emotionally exhausting. Um, yeah, it was, it was rough. And that was just a baby storm. And then of course, I go up to visit my, my family in North Carolina, uh, the week after that happened, because it was my dad's 69th birthday. Happy birthday, daddy. Um, and then Florence, this monster storm starts while I'm in North Carolina, starts barreling towards the North and South Carolina coast. And I'm like, you know, we're doing birthday celebrations and I'm looking at the news and all my friends, um, who are meteorolo meteorologists and following this. And they're like, this is really serious. This is bad. And it, it was, it was really bad. You know, uh, one of my sisters had to evacuate down here from Charleston. Um, but it hit, I mean, it, it just hit almost straight on to my parents' beach house um, just north of Wilmington. And we really weren't sure if we were going to have a beach house at the end of that. And we were, were lucky we still do and, and had pretty minor damage, all things considering. But, you know, my dad's really upset because that's like his favorite place in the world. And we're all, you know, not just worried about the coast, but worried about flooding in Charlotte and Asheville, where the rest of my family lives. And, you know, I'm checking in with my dad and my brother and sister who stayed in the Carolinas just to make sure that they're safe. And yeah, the whole thing was, it was a harrowing couple of weeks of extreme anxiety. Oh, well, I am so sorry. Yeah, that just sounds so stressful and so scary and so all consuming. And, um, you know, you're you're not alone. I am sure that some of our listeners had those experiences this summer, whether it was those huge storms uh, on the Atlantic coast or the fires in the West, which again, I mean, th there is, you know, a lot of people describing this as the summer that never was in the West in some places because they like couldn't, couldn't literally practically breathe all summer long. So, you know, climate change is real and it's landing on our doorsteps today. It's not a problem for our grandchildren. And, uh, this is, this is, um, a lot of people are waking up to this and really struggling with it. Yeah. I, I couldn't agree more. And I've heard, um, you know, not even just like witnessing my own family and friends anxiety around, around, you know, both wildfires and hurricanes. A lot of our listeners have reached out to us to talk, you know, to share, to share how, um, you know, how freaked out. It, this is living in a, in a climate change world. And it's, you know, it's scary. So I'm really, really glad that we are grappling with um, not only anxiety and eco anxiety, um, but also what we do with it. <laughs> you know, we still live in despite all of these harrowing 
scary things happening in the world. The world is still beautiful and full of life and love. And I, I have to remind myself a lot these days to, to stay connected to those things as well, because there is so much um, to be joyful about and to be thankful for. And I think I'm really ex- excited to talk to, to, um, to talk to folks about what we do with these emotions um, and, and, you know, the kind of severe mental challenges that they're presenting to more and more people, but also, you know, also, you know, what are some positive things that we can do to move through them and to help navigate them? So I'm, I'm really excited to jump into this season. Me too. And also, you know, as, as someone who is an advocate who does this for a living, how you, how you keep doing the work in the midst of, of, you know, some of those kind of overwhelming feelings because we've got to keep doing the work and we've got to do it from a good place. So we can't wait to share the season with you and we'll be back right after this. Hi, my name is Marina and I'm from Longview, Texas. Here's one way I stay sane in the face of climate change. I think a lot about my place on the earth and my connection to the earth. Concepts like Joanna Macy's, the web of life cradles us and calls us to weave it further. This helps me feel like more than a carbon footprint. Then when I'm still and feeling connected, I sit in this awareness and pray for the earth, for solutions. I spend time visualizing a healed world. I try to tend to my grief as it arises and make it a discipline to talk to the people around me about climate change and my reactions. For so long, I struggled with guilt for my personal contributions, even after taking lots of steps to simplify and lower my footprint. Now I focus more on being a voice for the earth and helping by being a part of the many voices pushing for solutions. So, Anna Jane, I want to kick this off by sharing some highlights with you from a really fascinating conversation I had with a woman who you know, uh, who has been studying eco-anxiety for decades. Ah, I'm so excited. You talked to Renee Lertzman, right? Or Dr. Renee Lertzman, I should say. How did the interview go? It was really incredible. Renee, um, you know her, but she is such a committed and thoughtful and really profound leader who has been looking at the intersection of psychology, essentially, and and climate change and looking at how that affects our mental health, both in terms of how we respond to climate change, but also how it kind of interferes sometimes with our ability to do anything about it. So, you know, for me as both a, a mom and a person living in this world, but also as an advocate, it was it was really an incredible conversation. But basically, you know, the concept is that you know, we all know that we are hurting the planet and it gives people these complicated emotions like being sad or feeling overwhelmed or feeling apathy or, you know, grief um, once you kind of realize what is going on. And uh, so I visited her. She lives out in uh, in the Bay Area and I was out in San Francisco for the Global Climate Action Summit in September. And that was when I visited her and had this conversation. Yeah, I'm so excited to hear more. I want to know like how how did she get started? Like what brought her to this kind of intersection of psychology and climate change and eco-anxiety? Well, that was fascinating. So she was in college. uh, It was back in the 80s. And she was taking classes in psychology and then also in environmental studies. And it really struck her uh, as a 
confusing as to why these two disciplines were so separate from each other. So I was experiencing incredible anxiety and all kinds of um, distress over what I was learning in my environmental studies class. And the way it was being presented struck me as a bit strange in that, you know, every week we would have these lectures about all kinds of just incredible ecological crises, whether it was, you know, about deforestation or species loss, mountaintop, you know, removal. And it, you know, we'd be in these lectures hearing about all the issues and then everyone would just sort of leave and go about our day and as if it was not utterly devastating and traumatic, you know, things to be learning about, especially as a young person, but at any age. And then I would go over to my psychology class and again, you know, social psychologist, very well known, talking only about the the classic kind of human psychological issues. Uh, we were looking at aggression and prejudice and, you know, themes that are really big in social psychology, attitudes and beliefs and all of that. And of course, none of it was touching on what was going on with our relationship to the world and to the environment. And so it just became very clear to me that there was something profoundly missing here. So she went on to make it her life's mission to try to connect those dots and, uh, you know, help people tap into essentially the emotional and psychological components of the environmental movement, which I can tell you as a as an advocate who's been doing this work for 20 years is very rare. And honestly, when I was sitting there talking to her, it was kind of an aha moment that that uh, not only had had I not ever thought about that before, but then it sort of struck me as, well, why? <laughs> why have I never thought about the sort of the behavioral and psychological elements of this? So she made that her mission to connect those dots. Uh, it's it's so fascinating and so personally relevant to my life. <laughs> like I, you know, I come from an amazing family of brilliant, artistic, kind, crazy people. Um, but we also, one of uh, the gifts and curses of, of my lineage is that a lot of us struggle with pretty severe anxiety. Um, like pretty much like one out of two of us <laughs> on my mom's side of the family has struggled with some sort of, um, you know, issue around mental health and anxiety or depression. And so I think I would have a high level of anxiety, even if it was like a perfect world full of rainbows and, and no climate change all the time. But I will say that going into this field <laughs> was definitely a complicating factor because it is, you know, just going to work every day, trying to save humanity from a suicide mission is pretty emotionally intense work. And I remember kind of in my like early to mid career thinking about how the, you know, there, there really does need to be better kind of emotional support and mental health support for activists who are just immersed in these massive problems, you know, all the time for our, for our everyday living and life. And I know for me, I've had um, I've had bouts with really bad panic attacks and panic disorders, um, which almost always is connected to my work. Um, they That's like when they became most prevalent. It's one of the reasons we left New York is I was having panic attacks, you know, anywhere from like three to five times a week. And I just had this like visceral thing inside me that was like, you have to get out of this situation. And I left my amazing but very intense job as, the, you know, working in the climate space and came down to Alabama to live on the ocean and kind of 
um, continue to work on climate change because it's my calling and my passion, but I just needed to figure out a more sustainable uh, way of doing it because I, I realized that if I kept going at that rate without taking care of my mental health and my even my physical health, then I was going to burn out and I wouldn't be able to continue to help you know fight climate change. So I, I really... I'm really, really fascinated by these intersections and they have, they have personally big, big themes in my life. And I'm, I'm grateful to hear Renee's story and, and to be having this open conversation about it. Cause I don't think we talk about it enough. Well, I am sorry very much to hear about how hard that has been for you. And I expect a lot of our listeners can relate to, um, I did ask Renee about that, about where you start to connect those dots between, uh, the emotional, the emotional things that are at play under the surface when it comes to climate change. Here's what she had to say. I think number one is to recognize environmental issues, and that includes climate issues, as in fact uh, emotionally complicated, that these issues are going to be complicated for each one of us in very different ways, depending on who you are, where you are, where you're coming from. So it's not generalizing to say everyone is equally as freaked out as everyone else. But I think the first thing is to, number one, recognize that these are emotionally charged issues and that if you are experiencing anxiety, uh, fear, anger, that whole range of emotions, to know that that's totally natural and it makes complete sense. So that itself, I think, can be a powerful, uh, you know, intervention for people because it it helps just normalize that, okay, if I'm feeling these things, there's nothing wrong with me. And chances are that a lot of other people are feeling this way too, but we're not talking about it. It's so good. I'm, I'm just so grateful. Um, this world is so crazy complicated and weird and um, harmful in a lot of ways. And, you know, looking at climate change and looking at the Kavanaugh hearings and looking at all of these layers and dynamics that are troubling and disturbing, it makes sense that we are struggling with anxiety and depression. We would almost be crazy not to be. Yeah, I agree. And, you know, even for people who aren't feeling all of this in, in such an intense way, um, I think that... Uh, to sort of go to the opposite extreme as climate activists, we can sometimes shut down the emotional side of this issue altogether, uh, maybe because we just feel like it's sort of too much to bear. Um, but what Renee was saying when I talked with her is that if we don't face our feelings, however intense they may be, whether they're as intense as yours or maybe less so in the case of uh, for other folks, um, and just take a look at those that, um, that we don't, we aren't taking action in as sort of as strong and powerful a way as we could. So let's listen to that. You know, like real resilience and capacity has to include our ability to bring our full selves. And that includes our feelings. And that includes the uh, conflicts that might come up, the ambivalence, the anxiety, all those things that I, I talk a lot about. Um, that's resilience. That's health. That's being an integrated human and an integrated professional. And, um, you know, I was just at the Global Climate Action Summit, where it was sort of a quick exposure to how even, you know, at a very high level, leaders around the world are thinking and talking about these issues. And what I noticed was a emphasis on solutions and action. You know, it's even in the name Cli Global Climate Action Summit. And my sense was there wasn't nearly enough 
attention on, you know, what are the capacities that we need to be really cultivating in ourselves and with the communities we're working with. So she mentions the Global Climate Action Summit, and that was a big event with uh, business leaders, world leaders, philanthropists, you know, making big commitments around the United States meeting its Paris climate commitment, which is obviously uh, a, a critical thing to be doing in the era of Trump. Um, there were also folks who were who were outside protesting uh, the event because of the urgency of the climate crisis. They felt that it wasn't going far enough and that some of the leaders who were in the room could have been doing a lot more. So it was high profile, very intense kind of an experience within the venue itself. Uh, there certainly was not not much talk about the emotional side of this for many speakers, although Jane Goodall talked in a very moving way about her view of this work as spiritual work. And I thought that was one of the moments where uh, it really kind of broke through. When I'm out in the rainforest, mm -hmm. I have a, a spiritual connection because you understand the interconnectedness of all things where every little species has a role to play. And so protecting the rainforest, of course it's desperately important for climate change with its ability to absorb carbon dioxide from the atmosphere, give out oxygen, protect what we call the ecosystem services of the forest, but, you know, clean water and, and air and protecting soil erosion. But for me, it's more than that. It's, it's protecting something which, for me, is a connection to some great spiritual power. And that's why I have such affinity with the indigenous people around the world. We feel the same about the forest. Anyone who was, who was in the room was, was incredibly moved by that. And I think it, it was a little glimmer of the power of uh, amidst, you know, all of these grand speeches and proclamations of tapping into emotions and tapping into, I think, the, uh, the real... I guess, you know, real fear that people have that we're not going to get this figured out fast enough, despite all of the great activism that's happening out there and all the great commitments. So obviously, activism is one way that I deal with my eco anxiety that I channel it into trying to do good work for the world. Um, but obviously, like not everybody can get there again, because I think they can find all of this so overwhelming. And Renee did a really nice job of breaking this down of when people are confronted with the understanding of what's happening to the world, whether it's species extinction or climate change or all the plastic in the ocean or whatever it might be. When people are confronted with this, there's these, uh, we take these scary issues and our role in them. And then she broke them down into these three A's that I found super helpful. So uh, let me share that with you. So the first A when we're confronted with this big, scary uh, information is anxiety, of course. So let's, let's uh, listen to that part of our conversation. So what does this what does this mean? What does this mean for me? Um, this is really intense. I don't know what to you know how to deal with this. This is overwhelming. I'm just one person. You know all that kind of anxiety that can come up. And then there's ambivalence. That's the second A, which is huge. And I would love us to spend more time really understanding and working with ambivalence, which is part of me wants to do this and part of me doesn't. And that's really huge. It's really um, what I believe keeps a lot, a lot of people stuck in an inactive paralysis place, which, again, you know, I think if we understand how to work with people's ambivalence, we can unlock a lot of, lot of capacities. Okay, so you've got anxiety and then ambivalence. What's the third A? Aspiration. 
And so the climate movement, the environmental movement tends to only focus on aspiration. And, and, and personally, we feel that we should be doing that. Like, oh, I want to stay positive. I want to stay connected with my aspiration. But actually, from a you know psychological perspective, that's not totally. Um, it, it's not really a very you know. It's not a grounded place to be coming from. Who is only aspirational all the time? So where I'm coming from with the three A's is first to tune into our own three A's, which is to, to notice. Where am I having anxiety? Where's my ambivalence? Where's my aspiration? And to be very compassionate with ourselves about wherever we are and to just stop beating up ourselves about what we're doing, what we're not doing. That's actually really not helpful. And um, and it's, it's just unfair to ourselves because we are where we are and we're part of a much bigger system. And I think a lot of energy around the self-beratement and I could be doing more is actually... Um, it's pretty damaging. So having compassion for the anxiety, ambivalence, and really tuning into where your aspiration is so that we start to practice a more integrated approach. I love that. It's really interesting just thinking about how these three A's have played out in my life, both personally and professionally. And I think like, I think for a long time, I, like most in the climate movement, was just like fully bought into aspiration and, you know, just really threw myself into my work in the in climate activism as my way of psychologically grappling with this, of giving the world something I thought that was positive um, and hopefully was positive. But I sort of, I did it at the expense of not addressing the other two issues. So I just kind of buried those, the anxiety and the ambivalence. And it, I really did kind of have to come to a breaking point where, where almost like I was like, I can't keep still being aspirational. Like I can't keep pouring all of my energy into my work, into activism. Like I have to take a step back and wrestle with the anxiety and these other complicated emotions. Just to springboard off of that, I think that um, for me, for me personally, it shows up a little bit less as anxiety per se, but more of the, um, because I am an incredibly aspirational, ambitious person. And like, I do believe there's a pathway to solve this problem. And I, I'm throwing everything I can into r- realizing that it's the, uh, having that not be grounded, uh, there is a lot of, I should be doing more kind of beating myself up. Like I should, you know, this isn't happening fast enough. Um, and that definitely spoke to me. I was like, oh yeah, raising my hand over here as one of those people who feels that every day. So, you know, I think the bottom line for Renee is that, um, acknowledging and just letting yourself actually experiencing your feelings, whatever they are, however sort of intense they are on the spectrum, but just not sort of boxing them up or compartmentalizing them. Um, is key because that opens you up to coping with them yourself and also connecting better with with other people. So let's let's listen to her talk about that a little bit. And I still feel that that no matter what what mode that is for you, whether it's through whatever expressive way, talking with people, writing, you know, singing, painting, whatever that is, the ability to take your experience and then c- communicate that is very transformative. It's very healing. It helps us remember we're not alone. It can shift the energy from feeling stuck to feeling activated. It can actually open up to ourselves more possibility and uh, reflection on what other ways we might be able to plug in and engage. 
Yeah. And that was something really powerful for me was that this wasn't just about sitting quietly in a room, you know, getting in touch with your emotions, but this actually could make the actions that we take more effective and more powerful um, because they're, because they're grounded um, in these emotions that are actually something that connects us with, with other people um, instead of just, uh, just jumping in the, into the to-do list, into the aspiration that are the actions that we take, if they're grounded here in the, uh, the other two A's um, can in the anxiety and the ambivalence actually can have more impact. Um, and another f- just last takeaway that was really powerful for me were her thoughts about being vulnerable, which again, as a, as a leader in a, in the act, in the climate world is something I frankly, uh, find a little daunting sometimes. Um, but it goes hand in hand with confronting our eco anxiety, which is just sharing it with others. So let's hear a little more about that. I mean, I can't say enough about how powerful vulnerability really is and that if more leaders and more, uh, people who are out there on the front lines can show up fully in our vulnerability to be really open and honest to say, look, you know, I'm feeling pretty freaked out right now. And, um, but yet I'm standing here and I'm still doing this work. It's, it's relatable. It's really, it's, it's a basis for building trust and building connection. And Anna Jane, you did that, uh, when you were going through the hurricane and I just really always admired that about you and definitely admired it, uh, this summer. Thank you. That means a lot. I mean, vulnerability is really, really scary and being public about your struggles um, doesn't come easy to me at all, but I've found so much um, courage and strength in connecting with other people. When I ha- I found that being vulnerable has allowed me to connect with so many other people who have who are on this journey and and to share solidarity and support and tips on how to navigate it. And I want to be human and real and vulnerable in how I you know fight climate change. I actually think it kind of requires that. It, at least I know it does for me. And, and I've also, it's, it has brought a lot of healing. I'm in a much, much better place right now than I, than I was, you know, a year ago. And, and I think part of that was just being real with myself and being real with others. So thank you. Well, and that's what we're going to do this whole season um, of No Place Like Home, which I'm so excited about. We really want to go there. You know, we want to go there on the emotional and the psychological and the spiritual landscape of climate change because um, both in part because we know this is hard stuff to to hear and process. I mean, we both struggle with it every day, but also uh, because as Renee mentioned in the interview, when we don't connect with it, the actions that we take aren't as powerful and uh, and they aren't, uh, we're, we're missing a, a key thread of our work when we don't tap into these kind of the, these deeper, these deeper veins. So we want to find more ways to talk about it and we want to find new angles to explore it. And we're going to bring all that to you this season. Yay, we're so excited. Amen. Yeah. We're going to look at how eco-anxiety affects kids. We're going to explore spirituality and eco-anxiety. Um, yes. I just had the most incredible conversation with Karenna Gore, um, Al Gore's daughter and a leader on f- faith and climate change about that. And it, it's just going to be so much Ooh, fun to I share with wait. everyone. Um, yeah, we have episodes about strength and art and courage and humor in the face of climate change and eco-anxiety. And it's just going to be a really rich, really deep, um, hopefully kind of surprising and innovative season of conversations. 
So stay tuned, y'all. We're so glad to be back with you. And we can't wait to share our next episode coming soon. All right, that just about does it for us. Marianne and I want to thank y'all so much for listening. Thanks to the great band River Wireless for our theme music and to our sponsor, the Sierra Club, and also to our amazing guest, Dr. Renee Lertzman. This episode was produced by podcast aficionado, Zach Mack. Subscribe to us on iTunes and please also leave us a review on iTunes. This really helps us out. You can find us wherever you get your podcasts and we will be posting all episodes and updates and information on our Twitter page at NPLH podcast. So be sure to follow us there. If you like our show or have any questions, comments, or suggestions, tweet at us. Again, we're at NPLH podcast. And remember, there is no place like home.